This week's episode is brought to you by Syncfusion, making all the best controls, charts, and graphs and everything that you need. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more. Frank, 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 happy holidays. Oh, happy holidays to you too. Are you uh, doing any vacation? Are you staying in Seattle, having fun? Uh, I'm going to go to the tundra, the tundra of the Midwest. Oh. That's my plan. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go survivalist mode, uh, spend your winter outdoors <laughs> freezing to death? Is that what you're doing? We, um, yeah, well, first the, we're going to go home to Cleveland and we're going to go home to um, mm. uh, some other parts mm. of the Midwest. I don't like to say too many areas that we're going sure. to specifically. I like to keep Offset. some private life private. Yeah, but <laughs> the easiest way to get to Cleveland from Seattle is to go to Vegas first. This is a fun fact. Oh, okay. Are you taking advantage of this fun fact? Are you going to have fun on your fun fact? We are. We're going to spend, um, uh, Heather and I have never been to Vegas together. So we're <laughs> going to go to Vegas. We're going to go see a uh, Cirque du Soleil show. And then we're going to go to Cleveland, head over to like, you know, Minneapolis and then come back to Seattle. So we're going to kind of be all over mm-hmm. the place. So it should be fun. It'll be fun. I'm excited. Yeah. So what about uh, you? That's fun. Uh, I'm just visiting my parents. It's something I do every year. Um, actually, that's not true. I was running off. I was across <laughs> in Europe last year. <laughs> so this year, I'm just hanging out with the parents down in the, the south of the U.S., trying to enjoy a little bit of warm weather. Seattle was getting kind of cold for me there. So mm-hmm. it's good to get a little bit of heat and get a little break from it all. That's right. I mean, I remember this time last year, you were taking the train like through Russia, correct? That's right. I remember recording in a hotel room, praying that this whole system would work and that Zencaster would work and all of that. But somehow we did an episode. So it, it worked, I guess. I don't know how we pulled it off last year. That's that was a small holiday miracle. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty great. And I'm, I'm glad that how the holidays are falling this year, we'll have a good scheduling recording for everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm looking at the Midwest right now, and it's like negative ten degrees where we're going. So oh, yeah. I don't e- I don't even have clothes for that. I don't even know how to handle that in my life. Well, I'm more concerned because I am in the South, which is notorious for hurricanes and tornadoes. So every time I watch the news and anytime I see the temperature change by more than 20 degrees, I'm like, I'm going to go stay in a bunker. I'll see you all later. (laughs) I'm going to the bunker. Um, I got internet and Cheetos. Bye. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm afraid of windstorms, man. (laughs) Yeah. So last year for our holiday special, we talked about holiday hacks. And what's interesting is... This year, I don't really have any holiday hacks, and I figured we would open up just talk about what we want to do. I will say I want to do one thing, is I want to figure out how to make a very simple website. In fact, maybe I'll use UWE for this, but um, <laughs> actually, I'm totally going to use UWE for this. But I want to make a very uh-huh. simple single-screen application that just displays some images, a little bit of logic, nothing crazy. Um, oh my God, I'm totally going to use this. I'm so excited now. Um, <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish? Are you making a photo sharing app? Are you copying a million other things like Picasso and Flickr? <laughs> no, I'm just like launching a, a brand. So I want to have just like, um, ah. you know, some images and a few simple things. Oh, I'm totally going to, I'm totally going to try this out. So that's going to be my holiday hack of building a very simplistic, easy website and publishing up to Azure and mapping the names mm-hmm. in, in URLs. I wanted to do a little Netduino stuff because our good friend Brian Costanage 
um, you know, uh, did a Xamarin show that's coming out soon. He did, he came to our user group and I, he gave me a NetDuino Wi-Fi, and I was like, maybe I'm going to, I want to really build a NetDuino C-sharp powered build server, like indicator light where it like lights up some lights. Um, oh, uh, I have wanted this ever since the beginning, ever since those colored lights with the, um, APIs have come out. I've wanted to do this and I'm jealous. I saw it once. I think I saw it in the Xamarin office. Everyone's yeah, done Jeremy, this, but Jeremy, Jeremy did, did it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. So whenever you get a build failure, it just turns all your lights red, which, you know, when I get a build failure, I get a million emails telling me that. But at the same time, I, it's fun, right? It's, yeah. If we're going to be programmers, let's do it. And you mentioned the NetDuino. Um, we, I don't know if we've talked about it on this show before, but that's a cool little device where you can program .NET code. It's a little embedded thing. Uh, you can kind of think of it as an Arduino because it has the same footprint as an Arduino, mm -hmm. but you get to program in .NET, our favorite language, so or yeah. system, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. You're, you haven't tried though yet. You haven't played. I haven't it tried in. yet. I have it sitting over here. The problem is that I'm going to be gone. Heather and I were talking about this. I'm literally going to be gone from Friday to Friday, so I only have like a weekend and I don't really feel mm -hmm. like bringing NetDuinos um, through right. to it. TSA security, they get a little yes. <laughs> um, not so happy about that. So. so I've never had a problem just putting it out there. I know it's a funny joke and everything, but I throw the most ridiculous looking electronics in my bag. And the, the only trick is I pay for the TSA pre. So that way there there's no go. questions asked, hopefully. Uh, but I agree with you. I was actually debating myself. Do I want to bring any IoT stuff with me also? But honestly, it's just too much to carry. And to do IoT properly, you want to have like a bunch of wires and components and maybe even a soldering iron and stuff like that. And it's just not a good travel wear thing. So. I'm not doing any IoT stuff on this uh, holiday either. Yeah, nice. But yeah, I am, it's um, sad. I it's kind of sad, but what are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing machine learning because you won't let me talk about it on the show. So <laughs> <laughs> this is my one way to squeeze it in. Um, came up with a little idea for what should be a small app, you know, famous last words. Should be able to knock it out in a weekend, make a million dollars, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so it's machine learning. I don't want to talk about it too much just in case I fail to do it, but we'll, we'll talk about it on the show if I actually manage to pull it off or something like that. But I'm trying to go machine learning just because I got into it pretty heavily this year, but then had to back off for really real work and all of that stuff. Plus, I was definitely getting more into IoT. So I'm excited to get back into a little bit of machine learning and actually produce an app. You know, a lot of the stuff I do are just demos and demons, uh, like articles and talking about it. I actually want to write a really real app. Hmm. So I'm excited for that. Nice. I like, I like when Frank goes off and builds apps in a, in a week and then they're the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. So <laughs> then we oh, can talk about it. No pressure. No pressure. No <laughs> pressure. Um, yeah, so I didn't really, you know, this this holiday, this this holiday season, it's hard because we did an entire you know season on holiday hacks. I don't really have a holiday hack that I, I want to go real in depth in and, and what our logic is behind it. As I get older and wiser, or maybe not mm. as wise really anymore, um, I think we just talk about a normal topic, but I figured we would do something different before we go on the topic because we always save a bunch of this stuff till the end, Frank. We, we talk a little bit about our lives and we get into a topic, but... Um, I thought it'd be just to be fun to give thanks um, to our listeners, answer a few questions oh. and read a few reviews. Are you cool with that? Oh, I love this. I, yeah. we, we always do beg for reviews, at the, or not reviews, but just feedback. It's, it's hard to talk into a void and not get feedback. So we're always excited to get feedback. And as you said, we always give it kind of short shrift. So yeah, I'm totally for this. Let's do it. 
So cool. I got two um, reviews that are coming from iTunes, uh, from Apple Podcasts. So you can go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We get an email um, whenever you leave a review. So it makes us very happy when we see a new review. <laughs> Um, and then I have two emails because people went to mergeconflict.fm and they wrote us an email. So first we'll go through the comments that came in. The first one was from um, CC Winner 30 from France, which is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Five stars, which we love. It says friendly and enjoyable <laughs> podcast as the title. And it says as a C sharp dev, this is one of my favorite podcasts. It feels like James and Frank are friends you like to hear from every week. Yeah, well, oh, Frank and I are friends, nice. so that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we figured that's probably the best way to go. If we hated each other, if we actually did go for the full merge conflict, I think negativity <laughs> is fun at first, but it doesn't have legs. So we we try to keep it positive and cheerful. So that's nice to hear. Yeah, and and, and honestly, like I think we created the podcast because we are good friends and we do have conflicts from time to time. But the most enjoyable podcast that I like to listen to are are kind of besties that it's kind of like a fireside chat like hey we're just getting together once a week talk about stuff talk about life talk about a topic that we're interested in and we don't talk about topics that we're not actually interested in sometimes only one of us is but that spurs the interest in the other like ar machine learning i don't know any of that crap but i'm interested now you know yeah, for sure. Uh, we we do have so many uh, topics that kind of neither of us wants to talk about. We have that big backlog. But it's fine, because um, if we're not interested, or our guess is no one else is interested, or we, we hope we understand people that enough. But again, if you have a topic we haven't talked about, we love to hear have you write in just so that we can have a little guidance. Absolutely. And this one um, actually is some good guidance. It's from deleted from the United States. Mm, and the, the title, the title is why don't they ever talk about AR, VR or machine learning? <laughs> is that serious? Are you trolling me? What's going no, on? That's here? the title. That's the title. It Sis. says that's the title. But it says if you work with C sharp code, especially in the mobile space, this podcast um, is one that you need to listen to. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. So why don't we, James? I think um, we just don't want to get stuck on one topic. I think AR and ML are tools. These are not apps. These are just more tools in our tool belt for writing applications. Now, I think what he's saying also is that um, ML is becoming important. I think apps out there will have to use elements of machine learning. People are just having greater and greater expectations for how you process data and things like that. So I think we do talk about it. I just don't I, I make fun that James doesn't let me talk about it. But the truth <laughs> is, I, I just don't like to stay on a topic for too long. I figure we'll, we'll get back to it a couple times a year or something like that. But it's just yeah. a tool in the tool belt. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think sometimes we both have topics that are passionate and then our listeners maybe hear something about that. Like, oh, we work and actually the, the next email I'm going to get to kind of hits on that hard is that sometimes one of us is really passionate about it. And I'm then interested in learning about it. But mm-hmm. that's a great time for you to chime in and say, I really, oh, I, you know, Frank just started mentioning something, but I really want him to like expand on this. And we'll, we'll do a whole <laughs> thing on that. So, um, yeah. And um, from the listeners, a uh, little pro tip for all you out there, you can tell when that happens. It's when one of us becomes becomes an interviewer for the other one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we're no longer having a conversation but one's just grilling the other one so you, you can totally tell when that time happens it's fun we, actually yeah what did you say your um um your friend to- asked or s- said to you about the uh, video <laughs> episode yeah he, he made the note he's, he was just curious if we did the whole episode on video recording simply so that i could uh ask you questions and learn from you and i yeah. had to admit yeah a little bit. 
I, I did have some questions about video production and I wanted to know. Uh, that one was a funny one, though. I think just a lot of people out there are getting into video. So I think it's still yeah. a good topic. I think it's good. All right, Frank, this one is probably for you. In fact, it says mm. the first sentence is this question is probably more from Frank. Sorry, James. <laughs> this oh. is from our, our good friend, uh, Dave Sharp. Um, uh, he asks, he says, hey, in Python, using because you're a python person frank oh um, i guess so he says in python using virtual env virtual environment you can create a requirements.txt file uh, and then pip install that file which would bring in all the stuff listed as requirements i love this feature he goes but at work i use c sharp and he says he finds it really annoying to pull down someone else's code from tfs or github hunt around for references he says i know it's not a one-to-one -one comparison from a tech aspect but from a developer experience it's very similar is there some similar way in .NET to get references um, or any tooling that he's just missing out on um, when you pull down and run references files? Um, is there something to get that all set up? Yeah. Um, gosh, it's such a great question. Um, and what is he talking would, about specifically? Yeah. Like, what is that thing that he's talking about doing? I don't quite understand. Yeah. Uh, so I'll back up. Uh, I think I was complaining at some point in the episode where Python is a little frustrating because it seems like every library out there has different requirements, different specific version requirements for all its dependencies and Python itself, the language itself and the runtime. And so it just becomes kind of a dependency nightmare. If you're trying to run one Python app, it has one set of dependencies and versions, and another app may have a whole different set. This particularly comes up when you're doing neural networks, because there's a million versions of TensorFlow, there's a million versions of everything. So he made a great suggestion. There is a tool called Virtual Environments, where it's super nice in that you can set up a Oh, it, how, how do you even explain this? It creates almost, um, <laughs> how do you explain it without using the word virtual environment? I keep wanting to say you create a virtual environment. You create a separate environment from your normal operating systems where you can install the exact dependencies you need and all the exact libraries. And the nice thing is I can keep that environment separate from another one that has a whole different set of dependencies. So in fact, I did know about this tool, but I was just a little bit too lazy and wasn't using it. It's a, it's a great thing though. Um, I think... We were trying to do something similar with .NET at one point, but it kind of fell apart and we, we just don't do it. I mean, doesn't isn't this like our NuGet package manager or no, this is something different? No, this is separate. So this is this would be more like keeping two separate NuGet repositories away from each other. We might need mm. this if we had like NuGet 2 versus NuGet 3. The good news is Microsoft is pretty good about backwards compatibility. And so we just haven't needed this for version changes like that. And well, I'll get into where they actually are the similar. So he, he mentioned the requirements.txt file. And this is purely because Python doesn't have a project file format. Python is just a bunch of Python script files that kind of reference each other and just kind of run. There's no project file at all. So mm. this requirements.txt is like a really ghetto, really crappy <laughs> project <laughs> file format. Got it. I, okay. My apologies to anyone living in a ghetto. It's, it's, it's even yeah. worse than that. Um, Got it. Yeah, so, but it works. 
Our equivalent of that is the package references and the project references that can now go into our project files. That's our equivalent. And the truth is with NuGet 3 and the new csproj file format, it's uh, we're in good shape, I think. I don't think Python has anything on us, especially this requirements.txt thing. <laughs> but it. virtual environments, I think they're definitely ahead of us there. Cool. Nice. Yeah, that's I'm great gonna, feedback, by the way. Uh, we yeah. should have mentioned that. I totally blanked on that during the episode. Yeah. I, I the whole, he, he's correct. I have no idea what anything really that you're talking about, but it sounds great. Oh. It sounds love. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> so um, my explanation was good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. All right. One, one more before we um, uh, go into our main topic today, which is uh, coming from Anne. Uh, Anne asks, uh, firstly, big fan of the show. Look forward to it each and every Monday. That is correct. You can subscribe every single Monday midnight unless I fall asleep and forget to publish the <laughs> podcast. It is there. Um, um, so Anne asks, um, I've been building my first mobile app, mikeapp.co, which is actually really cool. It's built with Xamarin, and which is awesome, of course. And um, Anne asks, this is more about a DevOps continuous integration type thing that we, we use. It says, hey, you know, I have a set of app settings and an API for development and testing versus, um, you know, production. So I basically yeah. have a QA build and I have a non-QA build. And there's some if-def configurations inside of there. How do I set up essentially, um, you know, you know, app center or some continuous integration yeah. do i build the app twice how does this work when i want to go to google for in-app purchases for instance you know what's the best process to essentially set that up like you know production with push notifications versus development with push notification how do you guys handle this um mm -hmm. in, in the real world of building apps i call this real world app building <laughs> yeah I think you're the professional here, but maybe maybe I'll go first just so that you can fix anything I say or something uh -huh. along those lines. So I would say in the past, um, C-sharp project file formats, the thing I was just praising, actually has all these wonderful configuration options in it and conditional properties. And it's almost a full programming language in and of itself, this project file format that we all use. There are very advanced cases of it. And in the beginning, I think I tended to lean on that. So I would create separate configurations for App Store, um, uh, test flight, beta test, you know, basically just signaling which features should be on and which uh, features should be off. But the truth is I've kind of moved away from that. I found it very confusing to have all these configurations, especially when you bring in solutions into the mix and you're doing cross-platform and you got to keep mapping between different configurations and different platforms. It honestly gets to be a bit of a mess from my perspective. So what I've turned to now is in my CI scripts, uh, I'm using Bitrise right now, I overwrite all the settings I need. So I keep all my secrets in Bitrise. They have secure enclaves there, or you can um, put them on your own servers and secure those. And I rely on build time rewriting of the project file to get all the variations. So yeah, I compile multiple times. That's it. That's that's how I do it. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of complicated because... Yeah, so when I do real-world testing of my applications, it's it's pretty easy to test out in-app purchases because you can just put them. What I do is in Google, I have a an alpha tester like group that is only my me, 
In yeah. it, you can't use your developer email though. You have to uh, use like another email so you can actually purchase it, um, but you don't get charged. And then on iOS, it's all terrible in general with sandbox <laughs> users. So you don't really need to create two different um, apps for that in general, but you, you mm-hmm. could, if you have a QA and a non QA, you're like, you're going to have to do that anyways, if you have multiple app IDs. And, and I agree with Frank. So I use um, VSTS now for all of my, or app center for all my app building. And for my simple applications where I'm just like, I have one build, I really just have one in-app purchase, nothing crazy. It's just me testing it. I just have one app that I build once. And like Frank, you can use environment variables and switch out certain things. There's build scripts that you can run. Um, And then I use VSTS. So for um, the live player, for instance, this is a great example. And I have a video coming out. It's not out yet. When it comes out, I will probably talk about it and I'll do a follow-up where I walk through how I build and deploy the Xamarin Live Player into a hockey app with a different app ID that can run side by side the App Store version, which also goes to test flight and goes to beta and goes to all these different things. And I bump versions and I align numbers. And this was a bigger undertaking in VSTS because <laughs> for BitRise, which I'd used for a while, I built some custom ta- tasks that were shell scripts and things like that. But I just built and released for VSTS. Um, um, new tasks that allow you to bump your version numbers, change your app name, and also change your package ID, which is really cool. So what I do is I have a an internal, I, I just have like com.xamarin.live and then internal at the end, and then one that doesn't have internal, and you might have to do mm. some switches. That's one approach. Another approach that you can do is take advantage of CS Proj. And I literally, for Android one time, just had multiple instances of my android manifest one was like beta and alpha but again it's kind of annoying to manage all of that which is not great so um i like i like doing it at build time in that instance i don't know if we actually necessarily answered your question 100 percent, but i think that that's how i do it and and we turn on and off certain flags at build time for the app that we're building so when we're in test we turn on this piece of hockey app or we turn it off in this other instance Mm -hmm. and that's how we do it. Yeah. And I think you do have to have some kind of split anyway at build time because you are always going to have secrets. Uh, API keys are, are the big one where you're accessing a service and you don't. My big concern is even for like my open source projects, I don't want builds getting signed and using my key or anything like that. So you always have to create some separation between production and non-production. And it just feels like the build server is a decent place to put that uh, split. It's not perfect. I'm not in a team, so I can get away with being a little hacky, but (laughs) (laughs) it works for well. Yeah. Well, so thanks everyone for not only just leaving reviews, but writing in. We love it. You can, of course, go to mergeconflict.fm and learn about how to subscribe and also how to leave feedback. So before we get into our main topic, let's take a break, Frank, and thank our amazing sponsor this week, Syncfusion. You know them. You love them. Syncfusion is every single thing that you need when building any application on any platform because they have the world's best and largest suite of amazing controls, charts, enterprise, big data, dashboards, reporting services. They have over 850 components that you can drag and drop into your application. Those charts, graphs, all these optimized list views, crazy other rotator views, all the stuff that you wish was in the box, but it's so complex that someone else had to build it. Well, they built it for you. And in fact, you can get everything 
in the free community edition for individual developers um, that are making under a million dollars a year. It's all free. You can just go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict, learn all about their awesome controls and charts for Xamarin, iOS, Android, web, UWP, you name it, they can they support it. You just pull in a, a quick little NuGet package, boom, you have charts, beautiful, beautiful, lovely charts. And if you're making more than a million dollars a year or in a big enterprise, they have a flat rate annual fee, which is super great. So it's really simple to start optimizing and extending your applications with Syncfusion. So head over to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more. And thanks again for Syncfusion for sponsoring this show. Thank you, Syncfusion. I was just thinking when you said, uh, if you make a million dollars or more, I just wanted to chime in. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) You can afford the controls package. (laughs) Yes. You're doing okay. Um, all right. So now that we're 25 minutes into this podcast, Mm. um, I think that one thing about, well, one thing that I did recently, and, and this is a combination of me, you, John Dick, and, uh, a lot of input from people. And we talked about it last week about Monkey Cash, um, my new um, caching mm-hmm. library that is really good for caching small little pieces of data here and there, like web request information. Um, one thing that was interesting about that is we in the past had talked about .NET Standard and .NET Core and you know new project types. Yeah. And I decided that for this instance, um, I would listen to Oren, finally, Oren Navani, um, yes. Microsoft... MVP developer of CS Project Extraordinaire. Is that um, what he is? I think of him as the angel and devil on my shoulder. He's both. He plays both roles. Frank, you're doing this the wrong way. Ah, Frank, just, it's okay. It'll work. <laughs> Oren sits on our shoulders yelling at us. <laughs> that's pretty accurate, to be honest with you. And um, yeah, so Oren said, you know, in my traditional way of doing this, I would create a new spec, which would be a way of describing my my NuGet package or NPM mm-hmm. package for people that aren't NuGet or CocoaPod, right? Of Describing yeah. how you're going to build it, what the information is, what what DLLs are inside of it. And um, with .NET Standard or the new CS Proj, there's a new mm-hmm. package up NuGet for me automatically. Have you used this? Yes. Yes. I rely on this thing completely now. It's quite a, a quite an innovation they did. And this came out of .NET Core, where they were trying to simplify the project format. So whereas CS Proj's are super powerful, as saying earlier, how they're even programmable and all of that, the fact is they weren't very pleasant to write or deal with. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they didn't integrate with NuGet at all. And mm-hmm. these days, basically every project that's not actually your app ends up getting open sourced and put online. The, the app you keep proprietary, everything else you open source. <laughs> and yeah. so... It, it was nice. This new project format, they integrated all that new spec garbage into the project file format itself. So now we can just put it all in one place and we don't have to manage two different files. I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I don't like to give up control. I don't like change, Frank. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I I originally went down the 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 route of going through at Veyer and getting my build structure and things that I knew and loved. But I said, you know what, I'm Mm going to try something different. I'm going to try to do a proper DevOps pipeline for this application in VSTS and do releases to my get and an internal feed and into what I wanted to do, Frank, if I'm, I fell in love, you know how I love DevOps and (laughs) 
I oh, DevOps yeah. <laughs> Devop the crap out of this little NuGet package. <laughs> and I remember when you first released the repository, when we could first look, the first thing I noticed was there's zero source code here, but there's like eight different build script files. <laughs> I'm like, what true. are you building? There's nothing here. <laughs> yeah, so now I, I actually build um, four different NuGet packages twice i build a beta version and a stable version which means that i can take the same exact packages and bits from start to finish to my get to nuget beta to um to actual nuget production which is cool because every single time i do anything there's a new my get package that gets created and pushed out which is really cool um for me as a developer to have that automatically done for me yeah and um I rely now, uh, first we did this thing called, uh, well, first I went down the route and and it was simple. (laughs) Everything in the beginning, Frank, was simple. I had one Mm. packet, one library. Good job. That had one library and that was it. And I said, I'm going to have one library and I just click that button and it's going to do everything for me automatically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be done as standard. I'm not going to use any platform specific APIs. Right. And then, and then... That didn't what work happened? so good. Uh, what? Here? This is just a simple library. What does it need that's platform dependent? So the problem then became in this library that it's really important that you store this information in correct places on the different operating oh. systems. Oh, yeah. That little one. Okay. So, yes. So <sighs> the problem here is uh, if you're not an iOS developer, Apple takes very seriously where you actually put data files on the phone. And there are basically two important places, the documents uh, folder and then the library folder. The documents folder is special because it gets backed up with your Mm -hmm. app and people's phone backup. So if you have data that the user entered that they want to keep between purchasing new phones or losing their phone or all that stuff, you need to make sure you put that in the documents directory. Whereas for something like a monkey cache, Apple specifically says cached files don't go there because a cache by definition should be renewable. You should be able to re-add whatever you put in there. It's just an optimization. So please do not, uh, put just these uh, files that you can reobtain at any point. Don't put those in the documents. You're going to make people's backups too big. And well, yeah, that's basically it. You're going to make their backups too big. (laughs) Yeah. And I immediately was like, okay, you know, we have this thing called everyone's gonna be like, why don't you just use environment, get folder path and special folder? (laughs) I was like, yes. And, and then the problem there is that by default, the, my documents gives you the thing that's backed up. So then Frank said, well, Hey, just look at the assembly and see if there's a Xamarin iOS or Xamarin Mac and then reverse and do that stuff. Let me, let me define my, let let me make that point clear here though. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, like if you see a dependency on Xamarin iOS or I need to do something little with Android, I need to do something a little with iOS. You don't need to take a full dependency on iOS and Android.net. One of its powers is its reflection capability. So if the code is there, you can access it and you don't need to take a hard dependency. This would be a very soft dependency. Now, a lot of people get grossed out by this. They're like, oh, you're not type safe. You're not, I don't know, enterprisey something, but that's all BS. So <laughs> the truth <laughs> is you can do soft references. And honestly, they're better than hard references in a lot of cases. So I think yeah. I was trying to make an argument to you to just do a soft reference like that. So I was really, really close because on all of the platforms, it would have been 
I could have almost done that. And it was really okay. valid. But then it kind of got a little gross. And then on Android, like it just wasn't the correct cache directory <laughs> just wasn't going to work for me. Um, and, okay. and UWP, actually, I don't really know if it ever would have worked because I wanted, really wanted to get the app data local thing. So anyways, I put there's so minimal code. And my good friend Aloise, who made microcharts, he actually has a NuGet or a GitHub repository where he outputs every single special folder in .NET standard and shows you what it looks like on iOS, Android, UWP, and .NET and Mac, oh. which is really fun. Um we should link so, to that. That's a good resource because it's a great resource. When we were talking about this, I'm like, I think you can access that directory without this hack, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's great if he actually explains it. Yeah. So then all of a sudden I said, I'm going to now have different projects. And then Oren says, no, no, no. Use multi-targeting. Do you know about multi-targeting? Okay. Oh, I know multi-targeting. I had to implement it for continuous. Don't forget, I rewrote MS Build. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I know exactly. So multi-targeting is fascinating. What they're trying to prevent here is something that I've done basically with all my projects, and that if I need a platform-specific version of my project, I duplicate the project file and change everything except mm -hmm. for the target platform and a few settings. And we all know that's terrible. Mm -hmm. What we would prefer is just to have one project file. That's where .NET Standard's nice, but .NET Standard won't let you access platform-specific stuff. Mm -hmm. So Microsoft invented this thing called multi-targeting. Now you can, yeah, <laughs> now you can have one project file emit multiple assemblies, one for each platform, and you can put platform-specific code in each one. So oh, it's yeah. kind of a hack, but kind of awesome at the same time. It it kind of gives you the power of shared projects, but still creating an assembly. Yeah, that's the best part. I, mm -hmm. I feel a little weird that I'm creating a bunch of assemblies with the same name, but they have mm -hmm. different platform support and different dependencies. But mm -hmm. if you can get over that little bit of ickiness, there are a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And there's a bunch of boilerplate code that you actually have to write to get it working. However, our good, friend Oren, <laughs> our good friend Oren has this MS Build SDK Extras that handles a whole bunch of stuff for you automatically. So now inside my project, I just say target framework, which usually would say net standard 2.0. I just append with a semicolon Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Android, Xamarin Mac, anything that I want to have platform specific um, code written to. If I, if I only need iOS and I only add iOS and then it would only do that platform specific thing on iOS. And what's cool here is that you can then go into your package references and say, Hey, on UWP, I need this specific thing. And it will figure out the package reference for it. it's freaking bananas. Um, it's great. It's, it's great. great. The yeah. only reason I'm not using it, honestly, is uh, uh, Visual Studio for Mac still isn't supporting it. So we're, we're a little bit behind on the Mac. The cool thing is uh, .NET Core can handle it on the Mac mm -hmm. and Visual Studio on Windows, of course, is just fine. Yeah. Makes, makes it great. So that's been my little um, hes hesitation in adopting it only because my mm -hmm. tools haven't quite caught up. But any yeah. day now, right? Any day. <laughs> I, I told, I'm, I'm going to go, I told John, I, I said, um, because with Orin stuff, it actually it actually does work um, very yeah. close. <laughs> it has a few issues that you may have to comment out if you're doing UWP stuff. But I'm going over to Matt Ward, who works on a lot of this stuff, and I'm going to say, "Hey, can you just make my project work? Because if this works, <laughs> then you know that it would make a lot of people's uh, stuff work, which is really cool." So, anyways, I digress from that. But now mm -hmm. what's going to happen is 
it will create a NuGet package and it'll create all the DLLs required for this. That's great. Then Frank, here's the problem. Uh oh. We got a little crazy with Monkey Cash, and Monkey Cash oh, now is no longer one library. It is four libraries. Yeah, okay, I'm calling crazy that you don't need four libraries for a library that has two functions in it, but okay. So <laughs> Tell me more. We, Explain so yourself. Mon- <laughs> so Monkey Cash now has one has one core package. This is pretty common. Has one core package. It doesn't have very much stuff in it. It has like some utilities. It has interfaces inside of it. Um, oh, and it has some helper stuff. And then there are three providers. Oh, okay. There's a SQLite provider, a LightDB provider, and a file store provider. You oh, my only God. need one of them. It's enterprise quality. <laughs> yes. So the reason we did this, the reason we did this talking with John Dick is like, what if someone already has LightDB installed? Then you're going to force them to install SQLite. James, and I go, all right. What if an asteroid hits us tomorrow? How will it handle that situation? I, I don't know. I don't know. James, so anyways. James, what if someone breaks into your house? How will you handle that? <laughs> All right, all right, whatever. So you can imagine, <laughs> you can imagine the situation where there's a, a, a child-parent relationship. So Fine. now I add another another multi-target on top of this, right? Which is really cool. And then I and I reference mm-hmm. Monkey Cash from this, um, which is perfect as you would expect. Yeah. But now yeah, that- I'm going to create a NuGet package that's requiring another NuGet package that's being built inside of that build you know what i'm saying yes uh so i ran into this with (laughs) Ui. uh i i have the exact same thing i have a core and then i have a um some add-on stuff to make it work with asp.net and i have some Mm -hmm. add-on stuff to make it work with xamarin forms and of course those need references to the main library now in the bad olden days i had to manually edit the new spec files and change version numbers and make sure they were all matching up but thankfully now that all that stuff has been integrated into the project file itself the build system basically takes care of all of it for you right i i haven't had any issues it picks up the right versions it does everything yeah so it's a little interesting because it gets extremely close. Like that first monkey cache core will get built perfect because it has no dependencies. Okay. It'll auto add sure. everything. <laughs> yeah. The problem is the parent ones, which would be like the SQLite or LightDB, um, it needs the specific versions. So there's a little trick and they're, I guess they're going to fix this in the future, but um, there's a little trick, which is when you're building it, the specific packages, you just simply, you tell it to... Um, to restore, build, and pack. So those are your MS build um, mm-hmm. arguments. And at that point, you pack it, pack it, pass in your package version, um, your assembly version, version suffix, um, version, um, and assembly file version, any of your, your version specific for this build. And you, as long as you tell it to, to restore, build, and pack, it will automatically figure out the child stuff that it's, it's working with. And it honestly, I have this all building and working and running hundreds of tests all in VSTS and then deploying automatically. It's a thing of beauty. And I have no, I there's no, there's no files in my GitHub for it. It's just, 
it's it's inside of the CS Proj. Like what's in the CS Proj is what is built. It's amazing. It feels good, doesn't it? Because I feel oh, like we yeah. we've just been hacking around this problem for the last ten years. Honestly, it feels mm-hmm. that old, and now it's just so smooth to just be able to publish a package like that. But I, I want to go back to what you said, just to be clear for everyone. The version information is indeed right in the project file format. What mm-hmm. James is doing by passing arguments to MS Build is you can override things in the project mm-hmm. file. So that's what he's doing. He's overriding the version number and a million other things. I saw your command line. It looked quite long. <laughs> but that that's the nice thing is you can override anything in that file. Yeah. So that's what you're doing. Yeah, it's really just here's the base of it and all the the numbers are inside of there. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. What you want to have happen here is you want the the versions to continuously increase every single time yes. I bump my versions and things like yeah. that. But the nice thing is that I don't have to go manually say, here's all the references I'm using. It's smart enough to say, oh, hey, I know this is the version that you're building against. I will include this automatically for you. And it just works. It's really what do they really call that? The- awesome. The- the transitive um, dependencies, I believe. It's mm-hmm. um, I reference B, but refer- uh, but B references C, therefore A needs a reference to C also. Yep. That kind of, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be, but, you know, there's there's ways to go about it. Yeah. But the, in the olden days, all those, all those uh, transitive, I keep wanting to say transient, I don't know why, all those transitive dependencies were actually hard-coded. Mm-hmm. And so you got into this real dependency mess. The moment anyone changed a version of something, you had to manually go through all your transitive dependencies and fix your new spec file and change your libs. And mm-hmm. Oh, God, it just gives me shivers thinking about it. Thank goodness it for the new file format. <laughs> So this is my new, uh, maybe this is my holiday hack, is going through and updating <laughs> everything. I don't know. That'd be a little bit no, nuts. No, 100%. Um, that's something I would like to accomplish on my holiday, honestly, is go through all my open source projects and not necessarily adopt all the features of the new project file format, but definitely switch over to using package references and mm. definitely switch over to using the project files instead of the new spec files because, oh my goodness, it cleans up everything. And so I actually do want to get through all my open source projects and get them converted over. Because one of the reasons, honestly, I don't always update the NuGets for all my par- projects is because it's hard and I don't want to do it. <laughs> so if I, I can like make that. that easier, it's better. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, Frank, um, anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I think we could talk about NuGet all day, <laughs> but we won't. Uh, this was no. a fun episode. I just, we wanted to have a little more chit-chatty episode for the holidays. Keep it upbeat. Maybe we sing some carols. No, never mind. We won't do that. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, NuGet, it's good. Embrace the future. Don't listen to James. Embrace change. <laughs> change there all you the way. Go. <laughs> exactly. Well, Frank, I hope that you have the most happiest of holidays and have safe travels to and from wherever you're going um in the next few uh next few days um and i'll, I'll be back for new year's so maybe i'll see you around then and, and i think our next episode will be on new year's day when it'll come out so that'd be pretty great <laughs> yep. man i'm just i'm just sitting on the couch eating cookies you're the one traveling so <laughs> you be safe all right <laughs> all right sounds good Well, that's it um, for this episode of Merge Conflict. I'm wishing everyone a beautiful, lovely, happy holiday um, and a happy new year because the next time you hear, it will be in a new year. Oh, my goodness. What are we up to? 2020? 2040? Where are we at? 2018, Frank. 2018. Oh, 
No, we're yet. getting close. Okay. Getting close. Okay. Um, All right. Yay for 2018. <laughs> well, you, of course, can subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Just go ahead and hit the subscribe button, which is super awesome. But more than anything, this holiday season, share the gift of Merge Conflict by just telling <laughs> someone about Merge Conflict and how much you love us. Um, you can do that in person. That's great. That makes a great gift. Um, you can do this by leaving a um, great review on Apple Podcasts um, or, you know, just taking um, your partner or your friend's phone, going in and subscribing for them automatically. That would be great. Um, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's a secret gift. That's, that's a secret that's, gift. That's, that's not good opsec don't do that <laughs> there you go um all right that's gonna do it um for us this week um this has been merge conflict i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace <laughs>